What's up? This is Yeah, it's Khalil, and yeah, I am Khalil. Today I'm going to start off with this really this dumbass article or a series of, of dumbass articles that have been going around lately uh, in like the past few days. I saw it on Complex uh, first. I also saw it in a couple other places because there's a few news outlets uh, who are taking the same study, and I, I put study in quotes, um, and they're writing articles about it. So this was a study done by a, a British contact lens company. They make they make contact lenses and, and accessories for contact lenses. And they did a study or a series of studies, um, and they found that Canadians are among the most anxious and sad people in the world. Okay, first off, why is why is a contact lens company try, try, trying to figure out statistics on mental health? I don't think that really makes much sense. Um, I thought that was really stupid, and I looked into it a little more, and I went on to their website, this, this uh, contact lens website, where they discuss the study. And they're saying that they they did a bunch of studies, actually. Well, I guess it was all part of one larger study. So they were assessing like 10 different metrics um, across 24 different countries. So they, they did things like uh, what country is the highest percentage of vision loss? Okay, I'm, that makes sense. Oh, now they're jumping to uh, which countries are the most obese which countries are the, the most uh, stressed and anxious, uh, which countries have the most cancer, highest rates of cancer, highest rates of, or number of people with AIDS. And and what are these, like, this is a, this is a contact lens company. I don't know what their, um, I don't know what their methodology looks like, but it, it can't be that great. And now so many of these news outlets are taking their study, again, I put study in quotation marks, and they're presenting their findings as some kind of legitimate, definitive statistics. Um, it's just ridiculous. And uh, I think it's it's disingenuous, first off. I mean, to claim that we're, that in Canada, we're the most depressed, the most anxious and sad uh, people in the world. Or what did they say? We're, we're we rank number three. We're only behind the UK and the United States. No, we're tied with the UK. So supposedly 26% of Canadian adults report stress, anxiety, or great sadness during COVID-19. Well, I mean, yeah, duh. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we are. Like, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are stressed and anxious. It's a, it's a stressful and anxiety-inducing time. But it's disingenuous to claim that we're the we're the most we're the we're the second most uh, stressed country in the world when you're only testing twenty four countries, and not only that, but almost a hundred percent of the countries that they looked at were incredibly highly developed and wealthy nations. Like we're talking the U.S., Canada, a bunch of countries in Western and Central Europe, Australia. Um, there were a couple countries in South America, 
but even those were among the among the the most developed and among the wealthiest countries in South America. Um, so I read I read Tribe by Sebastian Younger. He's an author and a journalist, and this book is about belonging and how people in our modern societies, specifically modern Western societies. Are, have become so disconnected from each other, and we lack this sense of communal living uh, in in our in our modern life ways. Um, he talks about how we crave belonging, but also purpose. So we crave to belong to essentially a tribe, um, and and to have a purpose within that tribe. So, I mean, if you think about it today. A lot of people don't really have a community. They don't. They don't take part in any kind of community. Many people don't know their neighbors. Many people, you know, they they drive to work. They don't take transit, so they don't interact with people on their commute. When they get to work, they work in a cubicle. When they come home, a lot of people don't even socialize with their families. They stay on the internet. And so we've definitely lost, or a lot of people have lost. This, uh, this sense of belonging to a community. And with that comes a loss of purpose. So he's not really talking about purpose as in like, or what's the, the purpose for all of this, for all of existence. But really like a, in a really practical sense, purpose as like, what what is my role in my community? You know, we have to do things for each other to survive. One example he used was, during World War II, when the Nazis were bombing London, the people of London kind of came together and they were super supportive and developed this strong sense of, of togetherness because there was some terrible shit going on. And they really couldn't afford to have people losing it. They really couldn't afford to have people not being productive members of the community. And... Uh, even after the war, a lot of people were nostalgic for, for, for the war. Not because they liked, you know, they didn't particularly like being bombed, but just because that sense of community and that sense of purpose was so strong and was so enticing. I don't think we need to, we need some kind of a global disaster to bring us all together like that. There are many people in other countries, in other parts of the world, who live in much more communal societies, uh, much more, you know, more focused on on the local community, on the neighborhood, on the on the street. You know, like for example, I was just in Cape Town, and my family they know all their neighbors. Uh, you know, they all grew up there. They know all their neighbors. They know everyone in the area. They drive down the street and they're just waving at people constantly, and uh, that's something that we're really missing. I mean, personally, I'm I'm missing that because I moved to a a completely new city. But even people who have grown up in the same city, a lot of people in in Canada and North America in general. Uh, I mean, I can't really speak for Europe, but I know here a lot of people, even in their neighborhoods that they grew up in, they have no connection with their neighbors. You know, I wonder if that leads to some kind of, or I wonder how that factors into anxiety and depression and maybe just a sense of, of uh, 
well, really just mental health in general. Uh, how, how does that affect us? And then just to add on to all of that is COVID. We got these lockdowns. We got isolation. You know, this is the most isolated, separated, disconnected time that we've we've ever experienced. Who knows? Maybe, maybe those aspects of the pandemic are hitting us harder in these countries because many people, so many people lack this strong sense of community. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a researcher. Uh, maybe maybe someone's already looking into this. Maybe they're not. Maybe it doesn't matter. But it's interesting. So to to end this first segment, I just want to say that, you know, the pandemic is clearly exacerbating people's mental health issues, whether it's depression, anxiety, loneliness, whatever whatever it is. The, the pandemic is definitely having a negative effect on that. And I don't think it's helpful to have these disingenuous and stupid and foolish articles shared. It seems like they're doing a disservice to to everybody, really, to their readers. I So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's dumb. It's just fluff, right? Like, I, I, honestly, it's, <laughs> it's too dumb for me to even be talking about right now. But I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to bring it up because it got me thinking about how dumb stuff gets posted by these large media outlets. Uh, like, like, like I said, I read it on Complex, um, and Narcity also posted it. I saw it on a few other places, uh, but they these are large media outlets that really don't need to stoop to this kind of to this level i mean they do all the time they do all the time but they don't need to they don't need to post this kind of inane bullshit this kind of it's 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 clickbait but it's clickbait presented as as facts i guess and if you don't really look at it cuz that's the thing most people just read headlines or they'll just skim articles and this is something like this is something super unimportant and really of no consequence if you don't look into it but it just shows that yeah it just shows that they're willing to to post like all kinds of inane all kinds of ridiculous bs cuz it's all about that almighty click you know it's all about getting that click getting those views and making that ad revenue keeping the lights on so be cautious of the information you're seeing, even on large, relatively, let's say, dependable news outlets. So, like I said, I don't really want to be talking about that article, but I would just love for these large news outlets to to get us through 2020 with a bit less clickbait. Okay, so another news. Lynn Bayak, who's a a senator, she resigned today, and she resigned three years before her mandatory retirement date. So she retired uh, just as other members of the Senate were, were trying to push forward a motion that would force her out. Uh, they didn't want her there anymore because she was the one who came under fire a couple years ago for some comments she made about, not only comments actually, I'm talking like a whole ass speech and some other shit also. So she, she 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 said some stuff about residential schools. What she said was that people dwell too much on the negative aspects of residential schools and don't focus enough on the good. She was saying that there were a lot of educators, teachers, uh, 
clergy members because these were these were schools run by the church uh, that who were well intentioned and who who didn't mean to hurt anybody. In her words, not only did she do this, but then on her her website, she posted letters that people sent in supporting her when all of this blew up initially three years ago. And uh, yeah, a lot of these letters were like super racist, uh, describing indigenous people as lazy, opportunistic, really just like really super negative and racist remarks. As she resigned, she said that she she stands by her position. She stands by the position that that residential schools, I guess, get too much flack, I guess, is her position. Even if no Indigenous children at these residential schools experienced physical, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, even if none of them died from disease and malnutrition, which is not the case because a lot of them dealt with all of these things, but even if, just for the sake of argument, just assume that they didn't. Okay, the the point of the residential school, the intent of, of the people running the residential school, is still to convert and assimilate the indigenous population. I mean, it's active colonization. It's it's it amounts to, it is it's cultural genocide. Taking these kids and taking them from their families, taking them from their communities, stripping them of their culture, even like cutting their hair, uh, making them speak English or French. That's clearly abuse. Even without the even without the physical abuse, that alone, like the 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 literal uh, existence of of the residential school system, is abusive. So her original comments were like three years ago, and she got hella flack for it. And now she's back in the news with some dumb shit. So I'm gonna give her some flack for it, and I'm gonna end this segment with a really great response to her original comments. This is a response from Indigenous lawyer and. Senator um, Murray Sinclair, who was chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and it was the TRC that deemed the residential school system cultural genocide. But yeah, I'm going to end this segment with these words from Murray Sinclair. Many people have said over the years that uh, I've been involved in the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, why can't you just get over it and move on? And my answer has always been, why can't you always remember this? Because this is about memorializing those people who have been victims of a great wrong. Why don't you tell the United States to get over 9-11? Why don't you tell this country to get over all of the veterans who died in the Second World War instead of honoring them once a year? Why don't you tell your families to stop thinking about all of your ancestors who died? Why don't you turn down and, and burn down all of those headstones that you put up for all of your friends and relatives over the years. It's because it's important for us to remember. We learn from it. And until people show that they have learned from this, we will never forget. And we should never forget, even once they have learned from it, because this is a part of who we are. It's not just a part of who we are as survivors and children of survivors and relatives of survivors, but as part of who we are as a nation. And this nation must never forget what it once did to its most vulnerable people. Okay, so all this talk of senators got me thinking about 
what do they really do? So it's an interesting um, part of the legislative body, the legislative branch of the government. If a bill is passed in, if a piece of legislation is passed in the House of Commons, then it goes to the Senate. And the Senate, for whatever reason, if they don't like it, it's done. It's garbage. It's thrown out. These are people who are not elected by the population of Canada to be a part of the government. They're selected by a prime minister and they remain on the Senate or they remain uh, able to serve on the Senate until the mandatory retirement age, which is 75 years old. So, I mean, they could serve as part of the Senate for decades, decades, and they haven't been elected. You know, I'd be uncomfortable with even elected officials serving for decades. This just seems insane to me. You know, there's there are other systems that have Senates, but whose senators are, are elected. So the U.S. has a, a Senate system where they directly vote for senators. I think Australia does as well. I mean, these countries seem to be working fine. It just seems very undemocratic to me to have unelected officials wield such power. And speaking of unelected officials, so I mentioned before that senators are appointed by the prime minister. Well, they're technically appointed by the, uh, by the governor general on the advice of the prime minister. So the governor general really doesn't doesn't hold power. It's like a it's a it's a symbolic position. They're a representative of the Queen of England, who is our head of state. And this cheeses me so much. The fact that Canada still has a queen, and our queen is not even our queen. You know, like like what is this? It's 2021, and we still have this old lady on our money. Uh, she's still our head of state. We don't need to be a constitutional monarchy to be a functioning state. That's obvious. I just think it's very anachronistic to have this system in 2021. I see it almost as like an insult to our autonomy, to our independence, to have the Queen of England, this old lady across the ocean, be our head of state. To have her on our money, to have government officials coming into office to have members of the armed forces and people taking the oath of citizenship to have all these people they have to swear an oath of allegiance to the queen of england it's so backwards <laughs> it's so stupid i mean okay take the fact that she's on our money she's on our 20 dollar bill and she's on all of our coins that may seem insignificant, but there are so many great Canadian icons that we could honor instead of her. Like, okay, we have some prime ministers on our money. That's great. Uh, maybe we could look into diversifying a little bit, a little bit more, because now we have Viola Desmond, a Nova Scotia civil rights activist. Uh, we have her on the 10. Let's, let's uh, get the queen off the 20. Let's get some more diversity. Let's put Drake on the 20. <laughs> At least he's Canadian. No, nah, but th there are some really great Canadian icons, Canadian heroes, people who have made a really significant and meaningful contribution to our country and our culture and our identity. Because most people, and I'm speaking for younger generations here, most of us 
We don't identify at all with the queen, with the royal family. No one cares about the royal family, man. That shit is stupid. And let's just move on from that. And it would probably cost an enormous amount of money to to switch, you know, to take the queen off all our all our coins and to take her even to take her off the 20. I bet that costs a lot of money. And then, you know, we'd have to move away from like in courts. We can't have the crown. Uh, maybe we could replace it with the state. I don't know. I, I, I'm just I don't know the answer to these things. But yeah, it, it would cost a lot of money. And it might not be worth it in the end because our system does work pretty well. But if I had it my way, I would get rid of this foolishness, this uh, constitutional monarchy BS. Okay, so the takeaway from this episode is we all need to come together and work real hard to put Drake on the 20. This episode was a little bit on the shorter side once again. But uh, tune in next Monday. I'll have another new episode, and that one will be a little bit longer. All right, so I'll catch y'all on Monday. Peace. Peace.